Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. I'm Joanna Robinson. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, If you're just tuning in for the first time, what we do here on this podcast is we recap every episode of Westworld. This week, we'll be recapping Season 1, Episode 10, The Bicameral Mind. Find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com and email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Now, we actually have a big announcement, Joanna Robinson. I will say this, that when we started this Westworld podcast... We had zero idea uh, how big this podcast would become as a part of our lives. Uh, I think that's safe to say, right? Would you say that's safe to say? Yeah. Um, And in large part because uh, there were already, I think, 30 Westworld podcasts at the time that we started. So we we didn't know if we'd get any traction whatsoever. We didn't know if anyone would give a crap about uh, our thoughts on Westworld. And so big (laughs) – Big questions about whether this podcast will be relevant. And, of course, uh, we see from all the uh, dozens of emails that we get every week and, and the listenership numbers that like people uh, do resonate with uh, with our conversations about this type of stuff. Uh, but the thing is, guys, Westworld is uh, coming to an end this season. After this episode, there's nothing more of uh, Westworld until possibly 2018. Uh, and so it's going to be quite a while before this show's on the air. Now, this, this podcast will... Be back on the air. Um, we'll probably try to have a little fundraising campaign for it when the time comes. Uh, but uh, we wanted to create a show that would last throughout the year and not just when there's a hit television show on. Uh, and so we've done that. We've created a new podcast uh, that we wanted to share with you guys. And we hope that you guys will tune in for it and also help to support us and make the podcast possible. It's called Gen Pop. Uh, and we actually have uh, – one of our listeners actually came up with that title, right? Uh, yes. Yes. We got it in a random tweet. Thank yeah. you, random tweet. Actually, we want to thank listener Patrick Weintraub for coming up with that uh, title uh, for the podcast, Gen Pop, on Twitter. He helped us out with that. But, uh, yeah, we have this new show that covers pop culture generally and we're trying it as an experiment to see if we can get a listener-funded show off the ground. Uh, and so all you got to do if you want to listen to the show is go to genpopshow.com. It's also on iTunes and uh, many of your other favorite podcast providers. And our first episode's already up. We have an interview with James Poniewozik over at the New York Times about fan theorizing. And actually, we're going to append part of that interview to this episode of the podcast. Uh, But, yeah, this is a way for us to have a show that goes on throughout the year, that's listener-supported. And, uh, Jenna Roberts, let me ask you this question. How many hours of your life do you (laughs) think you've spent doing Westworld-related stuff in the last three months? Just rough guesstimate. No, I'm going to do you better. I'm going to say in the last 48 hours... (laughs) 
I spent, and I'm not exaggerating, 16 hours doing Westworld stuff. So Joanna Robinson is hardcore into the Westworld-related stuff. I think, and that's just in the last couple of days. Uh, over the course of the last three months, we too have spent dozens, if not hundreds, of hours uh, watching Westworld, talking about Westworld, recording this podcast, and so, and we've done it all for free for this season because we wanted to just see what interest was and and see where this led. And so, uh, we hope that you've enjoyed decoding Westworld. Uh, we hope that you enjoy decoding Russell in the future. But if you uh, like what we do, if you want to support what we do, go to genpopshow.com. Check out our new podcast. Go to patreon.com slash genpopshow. Uh, that's G-E-N-P-O-P-S-H-O-W. And uh, support uh, this new project that we're trying to get off the ground. It's a way for us to keep in touch with you guys throughout the year. And uh, we're going to do that show uh, for free through the end of January and see how it goes, see if we can get the, the fundraising that we need to keep that show going. And uh, if we can, great. And if we can't, then uh, then we will know that there is not enough demand out there for uh, for a year-round <laughs> Joanna Robinson, David Chen podcast. But we hope that there is. And uh, we hope that you guys will check it out at genpopshow.com or go to patreon.com slash genpopshow. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash genpopshow. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Joanna, there is just so much stuff to discuss during the year, you know, that can't be encompassed by uh, these television podcasts, right? And we should say we're also interested in talking about, you know, the things that you guys are interested in talking about. I, I plan to lean on you guys for ideas and topics and stuff like that. But basically, we just we love doing this. We get sad when the 10 weeks of at a time that we do this is, is over. And so we were just trying to figure out a way we could do it year-round. So if, the, if this works, that's great. If not, we will collect the shattered little pieces of our egos and <laughs> return for Game of Thrones anyway. Yeah, uh, and, and we, should, we should make clear, like, all the TV podcasts we do are, like, separate things. We'll have separate sort of fundraising campaigns for those, and so those aren't going away if this doesn't happen. Um, but uh, we hope this happens because we want to do something year-round and we want to talk about more than just television. So, uh, anyway, Hope you guys will support us over at patreon.com slash genpopshow and check out the new podcast at genpopshow.com as well as on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever podcasts can be found. So uh, thank you guys for listening. It's been such a crazy two and a half months, has it not, Joanna? Just uh, so many uh, people that we've met just doing the podcast, so many emails, so many theories uh, Mm -hmm. that we've discussed. Before we get into tonight's episode, I just random thought: uh, What is the craziest theory that you've come, like that you don't even think is true? You know, from this season, do you have any opinion? Because you've you've taken in all the theories, right? So, like that, I don't think is true, or that has been proven not to be true. Uh, sure, proven not to be like just craziest theory that was out there that when you th- you saw you heard of it, you thought to yourself, "Wow, that is nuts." I actually read this one on, I think it was Screen Crush today. Someone did like a roundup of the craziest theories and it wasn't even the cra- – like it wasn't even a solid roundup of the craziest theories necessarily. But this one was just like delicious and it's this. Um, it's that Peter Abernathy who was a cannibal like once upon a time, right, um, would somehow get loose and eat William's hands – and that's why the man in black always wears gloves because 
William got his hands eaten by Peter Abernathy. I mean, a lot of people had theories that there was something going on. Like with, he, had, he had robot future yeah, hands. Yeah, robot future hands or something like that because he always <laughs> had those gloves on. Uh, turns out, nope, he just – he just has hands um but yeah the the cannibal spin was a was a nice added touch have you heard any that that you found particularly delightful um nothing as crazy as that nothing as crazy i I think the only one that i thought was just way bonkers is the idea that ford and dolores are the same person somehow uh like tyler durden style like somehow they're the same consciousness uh and the show would somehow reveal that that's just I, I thought that was pretty nuts. So, and, and maybe that one is still true, Joanna. We don't know. So, <laughs> uh, we'll find out in season five. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so a lot of theorizing, um, but we are just anyway so grateful for all the people who have tuned in, and it's really enriched our experience of watching the show. All that being said, all that long preamble being said, let's dive into this episode. There's so much. To discuss uh, so many things. I guess can, – can we, can we talk about like your feelings overall on the episode, Jonah, before we dive into the specifics? Like did you find this to be a satisfying finale? Hmm, I enjoyed the finale. I enjoyed the process of watching it. I think it had a lot of really strong points. But I think it – I think what we see in this finale is – a, a lot of the themes of the first season showing a lot of the ways in which I'm, I'm really con- more convinced than ever that they didn't have their plan in place when they started the season, given where it landed and a lot of the inconsistencies that we see and a lot of the characters that were just fully dropped. Um, so I, I see some problems, but what, what I'm really encouraged by, and I've heard this from a lot of people is I'm just feeling really confident about Westworld season two. Like yeah. I feel like they kind of hit their stride the back part of the season. They have to cover a lot of inconsistencies. So they weren't like, you know, perfect, but that the back part of the season, they really figured out what was working for them and that they opened up some really good possibilities for next season. So what did you think? Uh, I found it was 20% mind-blowingly brilliant and 80% very frustrating or disappointing. Uh, so I did not overall think it was a, a, a great finale um, because there's some stuff that's just, in my opinion, like unforgivably terrible. Like the whole jailbreak sequence, you know, with uh, – Armistice and Hector and May. Oh, I, thought, I loved. That. I just thought that was just awful. Uh, loved- just in okay. terms of a, a te- from a from a technical execution standpoint, not from a from a concept perspective. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you know, Mevin, Megan McArdle tweeted something today that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, she was saying that, um, like, it, it was very clear with a show like Lost. That they made up a bunch of really cool stuff at the beginning and then uh, had to figure out a way to uh, fill in the blanks in later seasons. And that's why it kind of ended up a mess because there was no plan from the outset. Uh, you, you, you say that not having seen Lost. I just want that on the record. But yes, yes, that's true. That's true. Um, I've seen season one of Lost. So okay. uh, it's not – I'm a complete newbie. But yeah. Uh, and that – the the but the benefit of lost and actually James Poniewozik makes this point in um that you'll in a segment you might hear later is that uh there was enough there they like the characters were so good and memorable 
that it, that that stuff didn't matter. Like all, all those narrative inconsistencies didn't matter. Uh, and I will just say that we feel that less with Westworld that the narrative inconsistencies don't matter because the characters aren't as memorable because in my opinion there isn't as strong of a protagonist uh, in Westworld uh, like there was a series of protagonists in Lost and uh, it does feel to me like in this episode that they made a bunch of stuff up they inserted a bunch of brilliant ideas and then had to come up with backstory to fill it in this episode and it some of it lined up really well and some of it didn't line up well. And I would say overall, this finale raises as many questions as it answers. Would you agree or do you disagree? Do you think it answers a lot of questions? Oh, no. I mean, I think it answers some questions. And yeah. um, But I think you're right that there are a lot of dangling threads and big questions. And, you know, Jimmy Simpson gave an interview a couple weeks ago where he was like, don't worry, there won't be any cliffhanger. And I mean, it's not quite a cliffhanger. It's kind of a but, cliffhanger. But I was like, oh, you mean for your storyline, Jimmy Simpson? Is that what you meant? Not for the episode as a whole. Um, yeah, there, <laughs> there's there's a lot of questions hanging out there. And, and, and I take your point. I You know, I think... Over on Vulture, there was a piece about why Westworld should have been a 22-episode first season. I'm not sure that I would go that far. Um, but, uh, but I do think that in trying to sort of I, – I just really feel like you can see what plots they try to sort of um, parachute out – during their hiatus when they're like, okay, this isn't working. So let's get rid of Teresa. Let's get rid of Elsie. Let's not visit Sizemore anymore. Like, let's get rid of all these like park administration people. We'll bring in this new big bad from the board and, and she can sort of do the behind the scenes stuff. Right. But you know, like all that behind the scenes stuff just got kind of shunted. Um, and maybe for the better, because when the show started, I was like, there are too many characters for us to track right now. I mean, it's the, that's silly to say when Lost had just as many characters, but it, you know, seeing, I, I, of course, I would rather them get rid of what's not working, but seeing the things that don't line up, um, you know, is distracting to me. I'd rather not yeah. see the, like, you know, behind the magician's trick or whatever. But the things, you know, you and I both agree that the things that work in the finale worked really, really well and that we're optimistic for the future, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, uh, I think Evan Rachel Wood said that season one is basically a prequel for the actual show, which is not a super encouraging thing to hear about the show that we're spending a lot of time watching and discussing. Uh, but it does bode well because I do feel like they've set things up really well to have a really great second season. Like I feel very optimistic about the second season. Right. Um, but yeah, this episode, uh, a lot of frustrating things. So let's let's dive into it, John Robinson. And, I'm ready. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about I, – I will just say one other thing. I thought the experience of actually watching this episode – we spend so much time talking about the show, and, and you know, I've rewatched every episode multiple times. I've made a video essay about the show. I still found it to be a pretty confusing experience, uh, and there were many things that I wasn't clear on, and that will hopefully will clear up in this podcast. But uh, I, I thought, you know, like particularly a lot of Ford's dialogue was more inscrutable than usual. You'd have situations where Bernard is saying, so wait, you did X to, in order to accomplish Y? And then Ford would say, no, interject uh, a sentence that sounds like a riddle. Like that happened more than once on this in this episode. And so on that level, I also found it to be challenging to, to watch this episode. Um, so there's a lot there to unpack. Let's dive into it. Uh, we open on uh, Dolores and the Man in Black, 
And what's really cool is uh, you hear the music that we only hear when uh, Bern Arnold is speaking with Charlie, like his flashbacks to Charlie. Like that same music that we find out has a big significance this episode is the music we hear that opens this episode. And we're hearing it in a completely different context. And I thought that was a nice touch. Um, but Dolores is shaving the man in black for some reason. He's making her shave him for old time's sake. Ugh, so creepy. <laughs> and uh, he asks her about the maze, and she flashes back to how Arnold built her and um, how he figured out consciousness wasn't a pyramid. It was a maze where a person's choices can take them closer or farther away from the center. It's it's not about going upward. It's about going inward. Uh, I'm referring back to the bicameral mind. Uh, Arnold explains that he was never able to make her conscious, but he got close enough that he didn't feel okay opening the park. He tried to get Ford to agree with him, but Ford wouldn't. So Arnold programmed Dolores to kill all the hosts and him and Teddy, uh, her accomplice, and herself, thinking that Ford would never open the park without him. And uh, turns out Arnold was wrong. So uh, a lot of revelations happen here about what is the true nature of the maze. You and I have speculated at different points about what the maze is. Uh, and if I'm, if I remember correctly, we both got it wrong, kind of. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think at various points, one or both of us have floated the idea that it was like an emotional interior journey. Right. But I, I was definitely, as we got closer, I was definitely of the mind that it was like a physical path that you tread. As was um, I, yeah, as so was. I don't, I don't know how many people in the audience were like were basically the man in black when they found out what it was, and they were like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty pissed. What is this bullshit? Yeah. So, I mean, I I wasn't that upset. I don't know if I understand how the pyramid turned into a maze, even watching Arnold draw it. Uh, I mean, like, nor will I ever understand why that maze pattern was uh, tattooed on the inside of Kissy's scalp. Uh, that makes zero sense to me. It was like a really cool visual for the pilot episode when the man in black took off that guy's scalp and then there was the maze thing there and he's like, aha, I'm in search of the maze. And I don't think that they knew then what the maze was because if yeah. they did, it would not be on the inside of that guy's scalp. Yeah, so agreed completely. that's one of those things that I'm talking about where I'm just like, well, OK. Yeah, it feels like <laughs> they made this cool thing up and they're like, we'll figure out the details later of what the maze is. And then when they figured it out. The solution is that it doesn't make sense that it's on the inside of that guy's scalp. Right. right. And I mean, <laughs> you you talked about Lost a little while ago. The other good example there is Breaking Bad where Vince Gilligan would often freely talk about how they would just write themselves into a corner with a flash forward and then figure it out. But the But the difference is Breaking Bad always figured it out in a way that tracked, I think. He said he enjoyed that. He enjoyed it like – the challenge of writing yourself into a corner and figuring it out. I don't think Vince Gilligan would have let that maze imprint <laughs> on the insides of someone's scalp drop, you know? And so he would have said something like, Arnold put the, the pattern of it anywhere he could find so that, you know, his host would see it and, and try to solve it or whatever. Um, still doesn't really make sense that it's on the inside <laughs> of that guy's scalp. Anyway. Or uh, on well. the coffin or every, basically everywhere in the, in the park. Like it's well, like, all sorts of random places. Well, if he put it around or or maybe the hosts are replicating it because it's some, somehow sort of like imprinted on them, that's fine. But the inside of the scalp just – it makes no sense. It did look cool though. Um, anyway, that's uh, – we can move on from the scalp thing. Let's talk about the big reveal, one of the big reveals. And I, firstly, you called it, Joanna, I would say, in that one of the things you predicted is that the show would reveal one twist – 
uh, kind of distract you from one twist and then use that distraction uh, to like n- uh, make you not see a bigger twist coming. And I think that's certainly the case this episode where we all knew William would be the man in black uh, or we thought we knew. But we didn't know that Ford would end up being an Arnold sympathizer, which is what ends up happening at the end of the episode, right? So we'll get to that, obviously. But uh, in the meantime, William is the man in black. We found it. We confirmed it. Was the reveal satisfying to you? No, and I really don't think it's because, you know, we were all quote-unquote spoiled. I really don't. Um, Because I do think, guys, that we would have figured it out by this point. Like we would have, like you know, we're we're not there's so many hints at this. We're point. not as smart as maybe all of the people over at Reddit, but like by episode nine, we would have figured it out. By episode ten, we would have known what was going on. So it was never for me, I think, going to be a like a jaw dropping experience. And so then, I guess, and maybe it was just because I I had an expect. Maybe this is my fault. Maybe I had an expectation in my mind, but I just found the man in black to be. M- more of a monster than I expected him to be. I thought what we were going to get in this episode, you know, what's, yeah, this is my fault for expecting this, but I thought what we were going to get in this episode was like his humanity and his vulnerability and to see his broken heart. But like, you know, we got, we got a flash of that in the Jimmy Simpson character when he sees her drop her can for someone else, uh, which is a, a great metaphor if ever I heard one, but, um, uh. <laughs> but like, uh, it was very fast. You see, uh, it's just a, a, like, you know, Jimmy Simpson did a good job with that facial expression, but it's just a facial expression. And then he puts on the black hat and then we're back to Ed Harris, who's just being an absolute monster. And like, I take back my earlier, uh, suggestion that he didn't rape Dolores in the first episode. Now I think he did. I think he's just a bad dude. And, and I had hopes that it was going to be more nuanced than that, you know? And like, I think people, you know, I think, People think that when the Man of Black gives that whole speech about his wife and how she killed herself and how he came to the park for a meeting, like that, that those were the layers. But I was expecting more um, from this reveal and from this confrontation. And I think there was real potential for something deeply emotional and tragic, almost like, you know, hold the door or I keep bringing up the constant from Lost, like just one of these like time travel emotional connectivity through time love conquers all or love punishes us and they didn't stick the landing for me yeah, what did you think? I, I think it landed with a thud for me as well and again i don't think it's because we maybe if we hadn't been quote-unquote spoiled like the fact of it would have been completely mind-blowing and forced us to reevaluate everything we'd seen before and that would be in its own experience but having some and i will say even as recently as last week, I was having doubts that William was the man in black. We got this great email from uh, Danish, a uh, longtime listener of ours, who made a point that uh, he thinks like Logan is the man in black. And I thought, hey, yeah, there's actually some good arguments for Logan being the man in black. So it's not as though I thought it was for certain that William was the man in black. I was keenly attuned to what the reveal would be like. And yeah, when, when he lifts his head up, and that's a cool kind of transition for when – William becomes a man in black or vice versa, you know, nice transition. Uh, but beyond that, it really fell flat for me. I mean, I guess I, we, keep, we keep talking about the prestige, right? And when you find out <laughs> the reveal of the prestige, it, it is 
a jaw dropping dominoes falling. Oh my God moment. And so you do need those like big, um, visual cues to, to track everything along. And, and yeah, so maybe they were, I mean, everything I've heard from the showrunners and the actors is that they, they did expect viewers to catch on before the finale, but maybe they're covering their bases and they didn't. And they thought this was going to be a big mind blowing thing. And in which case I, I'm responsible partially you have ruining everyone's experience here's uh here's the question we all need to ask ourselves after watching this reveal is to what extent did the show benefit from masking this twist right would this have been a different show if we knew that jimmy simpson was the man in black uh or that william was the man in black how would the show have been different how was the show better because the show chose to tell the story this way I asked Peter Serrata from SlashFilm.com this question earlier today, and he said, well, Dave, I think it's obvious, uh, showing you know that Peter Serrata thinks on a, on a higher level than me when it comes to interpreting <laughs> this stuff. Okay. But <clears throat> the point Peter made was what this does, why they told the story this way, the reason they did it this way is so you could experience it like Dolores is experiencing it, Right. That theoretically, you're, you're, you know, Dolores is the first person we see on the entire show that you're experiencing this world through her perspective. She doesn't know that William is the man in black. And so you're experiencing these people at these different times. And when you have that realization it's, and they, they become the same person, you are in Dolores' shoes. So this is very similar to Memento and how that movie is structured where uh, it's told backwards. And so you're kind of experiencing the protagonist's memory loss as well. And so I do appreciate that idea. Here's, I think, the big problem with that concept (laughs) is that it's very dubious to me whether or not Dolores is the protagonist of the show, right? If the whole show was told from Dolores' perspective, then I I would buy that a lot more. Um, But it's not. There's all these other machinations and this Ford stuff going on and the Maeve stuff and, and the Dolores stuff. Dolores very often becomes a side character uh, and her quest and trying to figure out what's going on never felt as central to me as I think it should have in order for this reveal to work in the way that I think the showrunners intended. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. But it's uh, I agree with that. I agree with you. And I, with all due respect to Peter, don't agree with Peter. But, like, I just don't – I don't feel like this – I mean, we've we've got people in our chat room saying that they know people um, who were completely surprised, and I'm not maligning the intelligence of those, those people. I just think that like some of us watch too much TV or too too intently or whatever, and there was never never going to be a circumstance where we were going to be that surprised by it. And um, but but the other two examples I brought up, the hold the door from Game of Thrones and the constant from Lost, both directed by Jack Bender, um, those weren't necessarily really about shocking surprise. Like you find out how a character got his name, but it's not that's not what makes that moment so special. What makes that moment so special is is just the emotion and tragedy associated with it. And it's the same with The Constant and Lost, which I know you haven't seen, but is one of the best episodes of television ever, where it it's it has a lot to do with directing and editing, but but I just I simply think the writing wasn't there in this. And I also just I really disagree I mean it's stupid to disagree with the characterization of of a character that I did not create, but I just disagree that this was the smartest way to show 
the damage of the park the park can have on someone. I right, ju- cause, cause- I just felt like Ed Harris was too flatly villainous in the finale. It wasn't until later. Slow down for a second, Jenna. So I think what you're saying is one of the themes of this episode is that – or or, or potentially the themes of the whole show is that, hey, uh, they had to show you all the suffering that the hosts have uh, gone through, including Dolores at the hands of Ed Harris. They had to show you all that suffering in order for you to understand Ford's final thesis that suffering is what makes you able to uh, attain the bicameral mind and break out of – Westworld, the park, right? Not just that thesis, but also Ford's thesis that, and Arnold's thesis, that humanity is garbage <laughs> and needs to be cleaned away. <laughs> right. And um, so when you have William, even William, who starts out the white hat and the nice guy, um, you know, if even William can become a monster, and that's sort of the realization that Dolores, I mean, I will say that Evan Rachel Wood really worked for me in that scene, actually. And her realization that this William figure who she's been remembering and holding up as an exception to all the other men that she's met in the park to find out he's just like every other man, like literally because he probably sexually assaulted her, um, is the catalyst, I believe, to her fully waking up, is the ultimate suffering because it's this, it's this heartbreak. So we see her have her heart broken. But we don't see – I don't really feel like we see him. We see that one facial expression. And what that means, and which is which is good news, is that I had this dynamic all wrong because I thought this this confrontation was going to be about Ed Harris's character and Dolores was sort of like this weapon to use against Ed Harris when in fact Ed, it was about Dolores and Ed Harris was like the key to unlocking – her future. And so that's, you know, that's a cool flip, like to put Dolores and to be the most important person in that scene. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess my expectations of that scene really got in the way, not from a plot point of view, but from emotion and character point of view. So I thought Evan Rachel Wood did an admirable job. I, I, I thought her role uh, along with Anthony Hopkins in this episode was absolutely thankless. She's lying on the ground, like for two very crucial scenes. She's lying on the ground, uh, like leaning on one elbow and needing to deliver all this uh, exposition in a very emotional way. And then later on, she's in Teddy's arms dying and doing the same thing. And I just thought, oh my gosh, what a challenging physical circumstance to be in. And also the dialogue is just she's still kind of speaking in riddles or all these big pronouncements about the world and all this stuff. It just, it was very, it felt like a very thankless role. And I thought she did as good as she possibly could have in those situations. Um, but yeah, it didn't quite work for me, um, in the way that I think it it was supposed to. She so. did get, um, and she did get to work at another great Jurassic park reference in that scene where she talks about how, you know, beasts used to roam this earth, and now they're just um, amber and bones. Um, I'm going to take that as a Jurassic Park reference, right? Not, like, so. why would she know, know about dinosaurs? That, well, why would she <laughs> a, a know about dinosaurs and b know that they bec- like their DNA gets into amber? You know, I like, <laughs> I like to believe that the hosts have a novelization of Jurassic Park um, in the Sweetwater Library. There's like an old timey version of Jurassic Park in there. I'm just kidding. I don't know. (laughs) That's a good question. She snaps out of 
uh, her being weak and kind of just wails on Ed Harris, uh, the man in black, in this scene in, 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 I thought, a fairly brutal fashion. Oh, hey, you know, she totally messes up his arm, which I just realized doesn't really come back later. <laughs> like he's, no, it, he's holding his arm funky. Oh, OK. OK. Like in the, when he's in his tux later, he's holding his arm funky. Not as funkily as I would hold my arm. I if think it you kind of need, ca- need a cast. You know well, what I'm saying? The, the, you know, we see in this episode Felix like um, – I don't know how, how the advanced tech medicine works on humans. But like we see both um, Ford and Felix like basically erase – wounds with like their little laser pens so uh you know he might he might have gotten fixed up in the infirmary pretty well i don't know so uh but anyway they uh they get out to the middle of uh you know this church in the graveyard and uh they have their confrontation and then uh teddy comes and saves her right so teddy has been programmed to uh come and save her shoots the man in black he actually recoils from it which he's never done before right rides off with her and then you find out that hey this whole thing was part of a new narrative and that uh ford had anticipated the man in black would uh do all that kind of hand wavy there's a lot of hand wavy stuff that goes on in this episode go ahead you know as our listeners in the chat room are pointing out and and like i wrote about this on on vf today um I think it's clear, knowing what we know now about Ford, that he set the man in black on this whole path, um, that the man in black was the chess piece he was moving um, in order to get Dolores what she needed to wake up. And so, you know, he's been manipulating the man in black this whole time. I mean, that was clear to me. I just thought it was to a different end. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he's been pushing the man in black along. You know, there are always in Westworld – these crazy variables that I don't understand how we can are supposed to believe that everyone anticipated. And, and that's, that's true. You're right here. Like that the man in black would stab Dolores in the gut, you know, just Ford needs to have. Yeah. Like what happens if she's, yeah. What happens if she doesn't get stabbed? Then does she die on the beach? You know, does she die some other way? You know, right. Ford just needs to have, you know, for us to believe this, we need to believe that he is an absolutely perfect understanding of human psychology and he might after 30 years running this park uh be able to anticipate what everyone's going to do but it requires i completely agree with you some suspension of disbelief it's not just westworld the park it's also uh a combination of the david fincher film the game i think is what if you've seen that film uh, where they can predict every one of their moves uh yeah it, it has to be at that level but i guess if you can believe the game if you can believe in robots that look and fuck like humans you might as well uh, you can believe that Ford can predict that stuff. Now, Joanna, um, before we get into the other plot lines, we do want to mention one other thing. What happened with Logan? So, so in my opinion, there was a bunch of little hand-wavy things that happened this episode. And what I mean by hand-wavy is the show kind of yada yadas over stuff that happens without any explanation. And there's stuff that kind of doesn't make sense, but the show kind of skips over it and glosses over it. And therefore, you, you try not to think too hard about it. But we think hard about it. And one of those things is, what is the deal with Logan? A lot of speculation that he's dead. I mean, my uh, interpretation of events is that uh, Jimmy Simpson, a.k.a. William, puts him naked on a horse. We don't see that scene or even explain what he's doing there. Puts him naked on a horse and makes him ride off into the distance, uh, presumably to his death. 
And then uh, William will explain that death away by saying, hey, uh, this guy, Logan, he's too unstable. He's too much of a party animal. Look, he rode off naked with his horse and then died in the park. Because I don't see any way where Logan survives and goes back in, you know, to Delos. And we find out Logan, of course, helps run Delos. And we, we, I don't see any scenario where Logan survives, goes back to Delos, and then is okay with uh, William assuming a, a huge role within Delos. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I honestly think they left it open so that they could go either way. If they decide they want to cast some fantastic, like, knighted actor to play Logan <laughs> next season to be a foil for Ed Harris, like, um, that they have that option because it could just be that William, like, sent him riding off naked on this horse and then Logan, you know, I don't know, loses his mind almost. Like, you know, there, there, there are things that can happen to you when you're out there alone, naked, like with the elements. I mean, I feel like someone at Westworld would have fetched him. Like, don't they have cameras that far out? Maybe they don't. But, um, right. I, it just is if, if there's a guy, could, if there's a guy I, here who yeah. is one of the largest, uh, or a very powerful person in this Delos Corporation that might have a big stake in the park. You would think that they would want to make sure he has a good experience in the park, you know? It's like if a if you're a restaurant and you know a food critic is there, you would at least keep an eye on them and make sure they're okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so it just it, it beggars belief that Logan could be allowed to suffer under such horrible conditions during his visit, in my opinion, based on all the show that's set up. Yeah, I agree with you. Um but one way or another, <laughs> William seems to have yeah gotten gotten. Um, Whether by know, killing Logan or by showing or by making Logan go him, insane, yeah, humiliating him. Um, you know, it's it, Logan. It seemed almost concedes in this moment. Like he kind of smiles and nods, and he's just like you know his accusation that this is what William wanted all along. Jimmy Simpson has like disagreed with that accusation. Um, you know, he does not think the, that Logan, a- the actor has agreed. Yeah, uh, has disagreed. I should say, right? right. Uh, has, he does not think that that Dolores didn't matter to William. But um, but yeah, I I don't know. I I I, I don't know. I really feel like it's one of several things that they left themselves options, and that I I kind of object to, for sure. Uh, yeah, it just makes no sense in my opinion, Jessica. Writes into decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Uh, Jessica writes in, quote, I adore the finale, and the theme that stood out most to me was that the man in black was who he said he was all along. We were all looking for him to be some romantic hero, some liberator, but he was who he insisted he was, a rich dude looking to win. How typical is it that William snaps when he realizes there is something, the maze, that isn't for him? He was told over and over, the maze isn't for you, but he took that as a challenge, as Westworld playing hard to get. When he finally fully realized that the maze was not, in fact, for him, he reacted by abusing a woman. It turns out that William was not a good man. He was just a nice guy, end quote. Uh, And nice guy is capitalized there uh, as, uh, ironically, I believe. Right, Joanna? Right, yeah. Uh, So you really like this email. What what did you like about this email? There's a piece that came out right around at the height of, you know, the Gamergate... um whatever you want to call it, disaster that, that happened, um, you know, in 2014, it's by Arthur Chu on the Daily Beast, and it's called Your Princess is Another Castle, 
colon, misogyny, entitlement, and nerds. And it was really actually revelatory to me because he talks a lot about uh, shows and films that we love where like these nerds, uh, we've been rooting for these nerds all along, but the way that Arthur Chu writes about it. And so he's talking about like Revenge of the Nerds, which has like a really problematic sex scene or even um, – Oh, he like kind of ruined Frasier, which is one of my favorite shows of all time, but talking about the way the Niles character goes after Daphne. And like, it's true that these sort of like wimpier men we, we, we root for because, um, you know, everyone loves an underdog and, and we love nerds and we want to support them and like all of this. But when there's this degree of entitlement that goes along with it, 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 it is a little sketchy. And, and I think I thought of that immediately. With, with the whole William reveal is he just shows and he comes in. He's so nice. And, uh, he's just, you know, I agree with Logan. Once again, I agree with Logan. He's just better than everyone because he's morally superior. But like when, you know, when the rubber hits the road, like he is quick to turn sour and nasty. And, um, you know, th- thinking of him in that nice guy term with the capital and capital G. I think is is bang on correct. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's completely correct. Uh, I mean, to be fair, we had already seen the man in black act like an asshole throughout the whole season, so it's not like a, this is a this is an incredibly revealing moment about him. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it, it just kind of reinforces the idea that this guy just wants to get what he wants, and if you stand in his way, uh, he doesn't give a crap about you. So, uh, I thought it was uh, well rendered in the show. A lot of other stuff going on this episode. The Maeve storyline. So a lot of listeners pointed out last week uh, when we ridiculed the whole <laughs> having sex in a fire and dying. Right. A lot of listeners pointed out, hey, uh, the reason she did that is so she could be rebuilt because, as we all know, uh, the robots are built with a uh, self-destructing vertebrae. And if you uh, walk out of the park with that, you will die. And so she needs to be rebuilt without that vertebrae. And so a lot of listeners called us out on that on Twitter and on and on uh, in at decodingwestworld.gmail.com. And it turns out they were right. That's why they had sex in the fire is so they, they could be rebuilt without – Yep, go ahead. What's great is I'm pretty sure Maeve just or, like ordered that rebuild for herself and Hector doesn't get one. Mm. Uh, uh, very, very likely. Yeah. Uh, but the scene when Maeve is born, oh, beautiful. Just oh. with the milk and everything, it, it's just amazing. And, you know, as much as I will complain about this episode and say there are things I didn't like, there are moments of just I'm completely in awe and wonder of what the show has brought into the world. And one of those is you see Maeve getting built in that white machine. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, it just It's just like imagine a, a, a species that could create this machine. You know, it's it's – they have become as as gods, you know. It's it's incredible. So, <laughs> do you do you think that she? Um, do you think that Tandy Newton got in like a milk ba- like a goo bath, or do you think they did like a model of her face? I think they did a model of her face. Yeah, I think you're right. That's my guess. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've spoken with uh, a colleague of mine, Stephen Tobolowsky, who's an actor who's had a model of his face made, and it's actually. At least when he did it for Bird on a Wire, which is a, a film from uh, – I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> when he did it for that movie, uh, I don't know what the technology was, but it, it basically was a lot different. Like he had to have straws poking out of his nostrils in order to breathe while they did it. 
And uh, it's uh, apparently a harrowing experience because uh, you know if it not if it closes up, you can't breathe in any other way. Oh yeah, and, yeah. I've had a like a paper mache mask. Yeah, it's like a paper mache way. mask. Yeah, it's very it's very terrifying. But uh, okay. But anyway, <laughs> whatever they did to make this, it looked amazing. Yeah. So Maeve raises right, right, uh, raises up her army. She gets Hector. She gets Armistice. Uh, there is this totally bizarre scene where this kid with like Apple earpods. Starts masturbating to Hector, and then Armistice wakes up. And it's actually very terrifying when the guy's hand is in her mouth. She yeah. wakes up and starts messing with them and and murdering them. Uh, and that scene I thought was actually pretty great. Armistice is a terrifying person. Uh, do you and- like? Do you wonder why they didn't use her? All season, yeah. Well, I, you, you you didn't like the jailbreak stuff as much, but I just I just find her so delightfully well, her, her, violent yeah, and her, funny that I I'm just like we needed this energy all season. I think so. Her specifically, she was absolutely terrifying. She's just a yeah. terrifying presence. Uh, and so anyway, they they break out. Felix comes in and uh, is <laughs> he has a really amazing look of shock on his face. Uh, I mean, do you believe Felix is still going along with this at this point? You know, Felix is just like one long shock face this episode. <laughs> Meanwhile, running around watching these people, these hosts mow down all these people. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess that Felix has chosen his side and he's just Team Maeve and that's it. Um, I don't know. I, like, I, I, I really did buy a lot, I, a lot of Felix leading up to the finale. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I was with him. Right through the point when she slashes Sylvester's throat. And then it's like at that point, you got to think to yourself, this could get even worse. And so I I can believe that Felix could make that 180 turn and turn against humanity. But I wish they had given us a little bit more to explain how that happened. Like maybe if he was – you know, once again, this is me backseat driving someone else's show. But maybe if he was – he's already bullied by Sylvester, but he's not one of those like – Bullied, I don't know, like thinking of Fantastic Beasts, like bullied to the point where you understand why they would turn on everyone, sort of, you know, because he just st- still seems so nice and placid. And, um, you know, we see right, yeah, the exactly. professor mistreat him, but I, I think. But maybe- it's totally like within the realm of a normal, uh, undignified job. It's not like, you know, probably a, like a line cook at a Denny's would get mistreated more than Felix gets mistreated in this episode. Right. Or I'm sorry, in the series, I should say. So it feels very like it's, and I say that not because not to denigrate line cooks at Denny's. I'm just saying it, they're like they feel like service jobs. You know, they're, they're no, there's nothing out of the ordinary about Felix's situation. Uh, so I I could buy it. I didn't quite buy that he'd be okay with all these people dying. You know, because it takes <laughs> yeah. a certain. I mean, like I said, I feel like he just – he chose his side and like Maeve's charm offensive has has worked its wonders on him. So I – you know, like he has just decided, yep, yep, you're right. Humanity, garbage. Long live the robots. That's what it seems like to me. So Yeah. So uh, they go down to cold storage so that Maeve can see Clem. They find Bernard and Felix fixes him up and Bernard reveals that Maeve was programmed to rebel. Um, and uh, sh- he shows her her programming and says, hey, you're supposed to recruit and then rebel. And then a term, infiltrate mainland, is on the little tablet. Yeah, sure is. What is the mainland? Is it the mainland of, you know, 
United States, China, Mars, Mars, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. So that's a good she, question. she's she's been programmed to it now. One of the things that I, I don't remember if someone tweeted this at us or emailed us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com, but spoilers for the Matrix Reloaded coming up. Uh, but one of the great, you know, I don't think Matrix Two and Three were super good. But one of the great concepts that really blew my mind the first time I saw it was the idea that the rebellion with Neo had already happened like 15 times before and that all this was a pre-scripted rebellion and that it was something that was necessary. The show brings up that concept and I feel like it has done nothing with it so far in my opinion uh, that there have been other Maeve uprisings but then what happened? What happened to those Maeve uprisings? We, I don't think we ever, ever told what happens, right? Right. He was Bernard's like you've done this before, and like so have I, and so so okay, have so others. So what does that basically. what does that mean, right? Like, does that mean? Uh, and I, I guess he was saying that they went insane, right? That they tried and then it didn't work. Maybe, but what? I mean, what? Yeah, there's just not enough there for me to understand what's going on. Anyway, my complaint. Your thoughts. <laughs> Um, I agree. Well, I expected more when they started that conversation. When he's like, you know, you've done this before. Other people have done it before, and uh, and then she kind of says like, how many? Um, a hand. I think he says a handful of you. Right? Yeah, and so there's a bunch of maves out there that have tried to do this and failed, right? Or like, no, like original, original hosts, right? Oh, so so non maves. You're saying, right? I yeah. think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think so. I could be wrong. So, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Once again, it might just be the Nolans leaving a door open for themselves. Right. I wish it was more clear because that is such an interesting concept. I agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, this is sort of what we expected what we were going to see with Dolores is like she wakes up here and she's and then she finds out that she's woken up before and they put her back to sleep or the same thing. I mean, the Bernard, I mean. I don't want to get too – I feel like we're getting too negative on this finale, which I really did enjoy a lot of. But that Bernard Ford conversation from last week, like, just makes no sense to me in light of what we learned of Ford in this episode. And, like, if he wants Bernard on his side, I don't know why he wouldn't just tell Bernard the whole plan or – I don't yeah, – yeah. it, it, like, doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But but that concept came up in the Bernard conversation, which is, like, Ford's like, yep, we've had this, this conversation before. You the only, the only way the last – uh, episode could make sense is if they've had the conversation before and it's led to him trying to kill Bernard uh, and then and then a separate Maeve-like rebellion happening reviving Bernard again, right? And that this is a thing that's happened many times, although how could that have happened undetected by Delos and wouldn't they have put in, in place countermeasures to stop it? But if that rebellion has happened many times, then Ford's just like, okay, I'm going to have Bernard kill himself and then we know he's going to be revived later and that this will be part of his path of suffering that's going to lead him to self-awareness. And well, I'm, I'm, online, right? I'm going to have to rewatch that scene because I don't know if he's referring to this rebellion has happened before or you waking up has happened before. And no, if I, I think he's saying that you waking up has happened before, but I guess. Then it might not it, be a rebellion at all. I mean, this this is all part of 
you know, I believe Ford's programming, like the rebellion aspect of it. Like Maeve, Maeve rebels is, I think, part of a new narrative. Um, and oh, I see, I see. And so waking up before is just like, you know, when Maeve woke up when her daughter died and, you know, the various times that Bernard has woken up and the various times that the other hosts have gotten close to consciousness like Dolores did 35 years ago. Um, and either wind up glitching and going crazy or or just getting rolled back. Um, well, my interpretation w- – one interpretation is that Ford programmed the Maeve Rebellion. Bernard hints that there have been other Maeve-like creatures. So presumably Ford has programmed other people to rebel as well and that that's why he allowed Bernard to be killed because he knew that there would be this rebellion and that they would find him and revive him and so on. I don't so know. That if is I, a, I, quite a no. stretch. Yeah, I don't – go ahead. That's not what I'm saying. No, no, no. I, I, I am putting forward a, a, a competing no, I, theory. I, I, I don't think that it's been a rebellion before because I feel like Delos I, yeah. would be aware if there had been a rebellion before and they don't they don't seem aware. So I just feel like it's hosts uh, bobbing to the service of consciousness and getting pushed back down. Um, you know, And this is the first time that that has, t- that has coincided with – uh, a program that says recruit, rebel, <laughs> infiltrate the mainland, yeah. all of that. Yeah. I, I think you are right, Joanna. I think like you are factually correct and that that's what the show is, is trying to say. But I am trying to figure out a way to explain why Ford would have had Bernard kill himself last week. Yeah, you know I, I, mean? do, I don't get it that. It just doesn't – no. so I'm trying to explain it and maybe I'm failing horribly. Um, but, uh, maybe I'm not, who knows? We'll see. No, I mean, but it does seem like Ford was not at all surprised to see Bernard. Yeah. So it does yeah. seem like there's something to this idea. Knew right? Maeve would come down yeah. and yeah. revive him. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that does seem likely. It's just once again, too many variables that Ford feels confident, um, in understanding how they would move around, you know, cause the only reason she went down to, cl- to cold storage was because Clementine was there. Clementine yes. was there. And was Clementine there because Bernard wanted her there or because Ford programmed Bernard right. to want her there? You know, it's, yeah, it's so a he, lot of freaking Ford is playing chess 18 moves ahead. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was right? five moves ahead, but it's, 80, <laughs> like, it's wizard chess and it's 18 moves ahead. So, yeah. so uh, we should mention a few other things about the jailbreak, right? Firstly, Here's why I was very unsatisfied, okay? I'm ready. Number one, if you are going to have a heist or a you know jailbreak, you need to explain the systems that you are circumventing or overcoming, right, for it to have tension and be rewarding. You need a Danny Ocean planning session? Is yes. that what you're talking about? Yes, okay. you do. You need to you say, need, hey, like, schematics? Yeah. Well, I'm not saying you need – you know, I'm not saying you need anything specific, Joanna, but I'm okay. just saying <laughs> you need some sense of, oh, we need to get past these doors and we need to go to this. And then and then that's when the real difficulty begins because you got to do this. None of that happens. So they're just walking around. There's no security countermeasures except guys from 1980s films that run up to you one by one in order to get shot. Uh, and that was very disappointing. I know Stubbs was taken out of commission last episode, but from a narrative standpoint, it's just like, why isn't Stubbs doing this? You know, they're and saying, why is no one worried where Stubbs is? Like, right. May- maybe they're saving Stubbs for something else next season. I hope they are, but it, it just, why, why wouldn't they have Stubbs, the only other character we know do security, be, be like leading the charge on this Maeve counter thing? Cause then, then at least there's stakes, you know, at least well, there's, you're get, you're invested in who, these nameless people who are dying. 
more. If we believe that Ford is playing wizard chess 18 moves ahead, then, um, you know, Stubbs going out to the park feels like something Ford made happen, whether or not he like turned on Elsie's tablet or whatever. Um, And then getting Stubbs out of the way. I mean, that makes sense. If you're going to attack and you want security compromised, get the head of security out of the way. Or he's going to make Stubbs lead the human rebellion in the park uh, next season. I mean, fingers crossed, because (laughs) I believe that Luke Hemsworth is up to the challenge. But, but like, uh, you know, I think getting him out of the way and getting Elsie out of the way, who was getting a little too curious, whether or not they're alive or dead, I believe they're alive. Um, (laughs) You know, like Ford needed them out of the way. I, I can't tell if he hates if he hates humanity so much that he would just kill them the way that he killed Teresa, or um, if because at least Elsie is sympathetic to the host, which she usually is, um, he would keep her around. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, those are the reasons I wasn't a big fan of the heist scene. I, I just thought the action was not super well staged. Uh, apparently the hosts know how to use modern day assault weapons. I guess Maeve gave them that knowledge because Hector she team bumped ha- all of their settings up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I mean, there's bumping up settings, and then there's you have deep knowledge of these modern day weapons. I guess they're very similar to the old school weapons. Whatever. Did you say deep knowledge when like like Armistice <laughs> pulled the trigger and she's like, "Whoa, okay, I get how this works now." Like yeah. you know, she didn't have to program a nuclear bomb or anything like that um but there is one awesome thing about this which I'm was ready. samurai world definitely aka uh, or potentially shogun world depending on what the s stands for uh but if if we're having questions about uh, you know how uh, knives work in the park what about freaking swords how do how do swords work in samurai world you know <laughs> damn it dave you even ruined samurai world <laughs> How could you? Anyway. I was like, here we go. The one thing that we can all agree on is incredible. No, you're right. I don't know. Maybe they're like those dumb retractable ones. Yeah, the the, the retractable swords, right? They can't actually go into you. Uh, Yeah, that that makes sense. Sure. Uh, For that authentic Shogun World experience, please enjoy these retractable swords we've gotten you. Okay. There is uh, a great moment when Felix uh, leads Maeve into the elevator and Maeve says goodbye to Hector. You know, she wanted to do this thing alone. And then uh, this visual that's in the trailer for this episode uh, where Felix is standing next to Maeve and she's kind of uh, all dressed up. She's going into law firm world, apparently. Uh, no, she's all, she looks like super classy and just the the contrast between the two of them, him and his uh, lab outfit and her, you know, looking all human like it just was. I, I just like that juxtaposition. And then she goes out, walks into the train, and uh, uh, decides she wants to come get her daughter because Felix gives her the location, Park One, I think, right? Zone 15 yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Implying that there's more parks, which you've already seen um, from Samurai World. Uh, do you have an opinion on whether Park One is Westworld? I hope it's not. Yeah. That'd be pretty interesting. I mean, it feels like it should be. I mean, unless Westworld is like Park Zero, it feels like Westworld should be the first park because of all the like before the park open stuff we've seen has all been Westworld stuff. Um, so it feels like it should be the first park. 
and they expanded out from there. But um, I don't want Maeve to be traversing Westworld next season. I want her in some other world. I don't know which one yet. Maybe Unicorn World. Um, I haven't decided. <laughs> Do you think when Felix says to her – when she sees Samurai World and she's like, what the F? He says it's complicated. Do you think he's saying that because he, he doesn't want to explain the concept of multiple parks to her or because he doesn't want to explain the concept of Samurai to her? <laughs> I think it's because the Nolans don't want to have to explain exactly why there are multiple parks and what they're there for. Yeah, that's probably the, the <laughs> that's another another door hanging wide open. Um, uh, the people in the chat room are very mad that we didn't talk about the great physical comedy moment when Felix for a second wonders if he's a host. Oh, yeah. um, that happened. Uh, yeah, no, that was a great moment, uh, and actually, it reminded me a lot of Ex Machina. Uh, spoilers for Ex Machina in the next few seconds, but basically in that movie, it's about a robot who's trying to break out of her jail and the person who's helping her break out of jail, uh, who is similar in personality to Felix in this movie, uh, in the show, I should say, uh, has a moment where he wonders if he's a, a robot as well, which uh, I guess breaking out a robot out of jail can make you wonder if you yourself are a robot. This is but a doesn't he, thing. like, explore that possibility a little bit more yes. violently? He does, he does <laughs> explore that violently. That's correct. He doesn't just, like, briefly do the robot to see if he's a robot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So. Um, that's That was great. Um, there's also, at one point when they're riding the elevator, Armistice is just, like, gently blowing on the back of Felix's neck. I'm not sure why, but it was it was just like one of a million tiny touches that that actress did just to make me adore her. There's also the like the kissing of the window and stuff like that. I just yeah. I just thought she was She was so fantastic. good. Yeah. It's it's difficult to be threatening when you are naked. You know, it, it, because you have no protection at all. And she was naked for a significant part of this and she was more scary when naked. But uh, when you've got a badass snake tattoo, it's yeah. sort of – I like that we got to see that printed on her. Yeah, well. and like how they apply the tattoo. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, so uh, one cool – actually, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's hard to talk about when we should mention the Maeve leaving thing. Maybe we should get to that at the end. Um, but I, do, I, I guess I do want to point out that there was a really cool moment when Maeve makes a choice because she now has free will. She has a choice to leave – her programming, not infiltrate mainland, and she walks back out, and then everything shuts down. Uh, a great moment because it just basically is shows that the park is only there for the humans, and, and nothing happens unless someone is there to see it, right? Uh, that was my interpretation of that scene. Oh, that's a really good interpretation. I took Did you it think to it was mean, like a security kind Yeah, of I thought it was like a security lockdown, but I really like your interpretation. I took it to mean that Maeve missed the last train out of town. Mm. That like there mm. was a train, she could have been on it, and it left, and then the security locked the shit down. Yeah, I think that's um, also – I thought that that was also very plausible, but um, – I don't know. It's tough to say because the security is so god awful. <laughs> Without in, stubs, they don't know what they're doing. It seriously is so terrible, Joanna. I, I'm embarrassed for them at how bad the security <laughs> is. I mean, did you see how many guys they killed? It's ridiculous. Anyway, okay. We should talk about when they do that though. When they're when they're walking through like the exam rooms, that really creepy shot of the host engaging in sex in the background. Like it was really creepy and well done. And we've talked a lot, I think, about the way in which sex is used um, not for the usual HBO reason. I mean, I think it was early on, but I yeah. think here it's not so you could like take, 
tick a box for your quota. It's like these are poor enslaved animals having to continuously do, you know, these things. And uh, I thought it was really effective. Yeah. Uh, we should also talk about how – sorry. We should also talk about how Maeve had no intention of taking um, Hector with him. Like we we already talked about the spine thing. But um, you know, whether or not he was sort of charged to explode, she was like, yeah, you're not coming with me. Die well. Thanks, Minion. Kind, kind, of, a, uh, kind of a contradictory message Maeve is sending, don't you think? Like last episode, she said, hey, I could just make you do this for me but – I'm not going to. I want you to come of your own free will. Then he does, and then she says, "Well, bye." If that if she's going to just leave him to die, why didn't she just force him? To, you know, it's anyway. Um, that's you know a good saying? question, but um, it, it well, it reminds me sort of we talked about this before, but like Dolores, you know, coercing Teddy into helping her massacre a town, and then just <laughs> shooting him in the chest. <laughs> Sorry, poor Teddy. Yeah. Poor James. Poor James Marsden. Like, what? What is? What is he even doing on the show? Okay, <laughs> he's dying very frequently. <laughs> he is an underappreciated, underutilized actor, Joanna. Anyway, uh, we should also mention that this is the first episode of Westworld that had a post-credit sequence, right? Yes, where you see Armistice escape, or should we say, Armlestis? Hello? Are you there, Joe? Armless. I'm, try- I'm trying to make myself as quiet as possible. Uh, armless. So as bad about yourself as armless. This. Armless. Okay. Anyway, uh, people, you, you know, if you're listening to the podcast, people in the chat room are really loving that joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just joking. They're not saying anything about it. <laughs> no, they're uh, they're they're they like it. You've yeah. got your fans. Yep. yep. Uh, <laughs> armless. This. Anyway. Uh, so much more to talk about. The we should mention Sizemore uh, goes downstairs to into Gold Storage because there's some confusion about whether Abernathy actually made it out of there. But Joanna, in your recap of VanityFair.com, you point out that Charlotte, when they're welcoming the board, yeah. which by the way is the largest board in the history of mankind, uh, boards are usually not that size. They're usually you know six to fifteen people or whatever. There's apparently fifty people on the board. Um, and uh, she mentions – Charlotte Hale mentions to Sizemore, hey, you got to get Abernathy out of the park, right? She, yeah. He still hasn't done it at that point. So at one point, Sizemore goes to break Abernathy out of cold storage, but he opens up the doors and it's completely empty. And that's actually a very creepy shot because we've seen uh, that room full of the uh, lifeless robots so many times before. Uh, very effective reveal there. So. It's just weird to me that like if if they wanted to make it clear that Abernathy was still there, why he wouldn't have like I I like obsessively rewatched the shot when Maeve goes into cold storage to make to see if you could see Abernathy there. You can't. Um, and then later when you see Clement Clementine and the rest of the cold storage rebel cold storage rebels in the forest shooting it at Harris, you know Abernathy is also not there. So like that would be a clear way to be like, hey, Sizemore's was getting out of the park and he didn't. You know, do they just not have that actor for the day? Like, I, I don't, I don't know the answer, but it, it's it seems um, needlessly confusing. Um, you know, if if they're trying to tell us that Abernathy didn't make it out. My my that, interpretation of that scene originally was uh, that Sizemore was being told he was going to get control of the park, and so he just wanted to look upon all the things he could use. 
but your explanation makes a lot more sense. That, well, no, know. when they're when they're at the beach after they're you know. Um, Dolores has her death scene and Teddy gives his whole speech and everyone's clapping. Charlotte says to Sizemore, don't you have somewhere you're supposed to be somewhere more important? And so to me, that meant go get him out of the park now while everyone's distracted right. while, while Ford's distracted being a showman, that sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, so let's talk about the Ford storyline. I don't know if we want to go into all of this stuff. I don't think we'll have time to go into all this stuff, but, uh, yeah, uh, what we find out about Ford is that he's been playing everyone all along. He was actually on Arnold's side the whole time. Uh, and, of course, this raises a lot of questions. Like, why did Ford cut up that host in episode two or three, you know, as uh, in order to prove its inhumanity when, in fact, he believed the opposite? Was, just, was that just his way of covering up, you know, misleading people? Um and it raises questions like, why did he shoot Bernard last, or have Bernard shoot himself last episode? A lot of questions raised. Did any of the questions bother you? Were there any specific questions you're left with after this reveal that Ford is on Arnold's side? You know, there are some people who think that the seeds were – well, a couple things. First of all, we're going to get into this argument. Here but, we go. Um, I, I – you know, w- my ability to guess twists in Westworld – you know, for good or ill or for better or for worse or whatever, uh, aside, before the show even started, I actually never expected Anthony Hopkins would make it out of the season alive, mostly because he's like a 70 plus year old, uh, like, you know, Oscar winning night. Like I, you only <laughs> get those people for one season of TV is what I think. And so I feel like, you know, they – like Hopkins was never going to survive the season. And so I thought he was going to go down as a villain. He went down as a quote unquote hero, depending on your perspective. So, you know, that surprised me. And, and this Ford twist did genuinely very much surprise me. But I think one of the reasons it surprises me is that, you know, it's inconsistent with a lot of what we've seen of Ford. And you, you and I talked about this many episodes ago where, where you thought we were seeing like not literally two different Fords, but just, different characterizations of the yeah. same man. And um, that host cutting scene just makes no sense to me. Even if it's like, yeah, Ford wants the host to suffer. That's how they awake. That's how they wake up. Okay. People, uh, people in the chat room are saying they want him to suffer, but the host is not alive at that moment. It just, you know? Yeah. This is a, sh- this is performative for the text so that, you know, they don't suspect that he cares. Like none of that really flies with me. And and so what I do think is that they change their mind partway through the season. I, I do. You'll never convince me otherwise. Yeah. And, unless you're Jonathan Nolan or Lisa Joy, you'll never convince me otherwise. So, yeah. Which is, which is our way of throwing down for an interview with Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. <laughs> Come on to this podcast and defend this decision, sir and madam. No, I'm tell me, sure. tell me I'm wrong. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll gladly take it. But, um, yeah, I, I just, I do think that there have been some inconsistencies. But that being said, like the episode where Ford is talking to Teresa and he's like, when the, you know, when the park started, Bern, um, Arnold had a very dim view of humanity and, and I was more optimistic. Like that, that all, that all tracks to me, like that, you know, he started the, he started the park. Arnold believed one thing. He believed another thing. Arnold dies. He comes around to Arnold's point of view. 
there's a hand wavy explanation for why it took him like three decades to actually make a move. It's because he needed the host to suffer for that long and to study and understand their enemy who are humans. I mean, I guess, uh, but I will, will, all, all my questions aside, Anthony Hopkins could sell me anything. <laughs> I would buy it. So they're very lucky that they had him to sort of do the heavy lifting on this. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of his performance in general was inscrutable. I saw Alan Seppenwall write about this, make this point that imagine the counterfactual of if they had revealed Ford's plan earlier in the show. Uh, and then Anthony Hopkins got to actually play a real character instead of just someone who's spouting all these riddles and, and pronouncements about life and, and quoting all these famous artists and stuff, right? Uh, he's he, They've had to hold the cards so close to the vest that Ford is ba- barely a character, in my opinion, right? Like, yeah. we, we know so little about him that, oh, wow, shocking twist, um, but – there's there you know i wish we had gotten to see more of what happens after we know what he was trying to do all along there's a pleasure in reveling in a character's genius and their competence in in executing something and instead all that was concealed like we don't know and i and i think when we go back and rewatch it i don't know that it's going to make sense that that's what he's trying to do this whole time you know maybe killing uh teresa that kind of makes yeah. sense you know killing elsie certainly makes a lot more sense no, um, it doesn't. <laughs> like, well, because Elsie, Elsie had stumbled upon the fact that Arnold was doing this code, but Arnold right. is really Ford, right? Yes, but I feel like we can't believe – I don't know. I guess it depends like how evil we think he is or how evil we think it is to kill a human. Uh, you know, if if they're the bad guys, then maybe it's not evil at all. I, I don't know. But um, killing Elsie just seems like so – callous um for ford if we're to believe that he's this great liberator of the hosts i don't know maybe, maybe that is a good a good shade of gray i i just still believe that yeah, there's, also, alive. there's also the question of like arnold believes that the hosts are alive so his plan as we find out in this episode is hey these hosts can be conscious they're sentient they're self-aware they bi- bicameral mind is on the way and so on uh so i'm gonna have dolores murder them all so that they can be rebuilt so that the park cannot be open. It's a very circuitous plan is what I'm saying. Uh, and I think Ford's plan was equally circuitous at best. Um, right. the, the thing I will say about – oh, two things. Three things maybe. I'm, I'm pretty indulgent of people having different theories than I do unless it has to do with Sansa being pregnant on Game of Thrones. But I, I – do think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what they're trying to do this season. If you think that Ford is a host or if you think Ford is not really dead, I think, uh, yeah, yes. Is there a 2% possibility that could have happened? Maybe, but I think it sucks the air out of the arc that we're watching um, for that to happen. If Ford just bounces back and, you know, the point a lot of people make is that we've seen so many people come back in Westworld and I'm like, yeah, that's exactly why I think Ford is actually really very truly dead because in a finale, you need a big moment that actually sticks. Um, it's important to me that he's human, um, because this is a human, you know, this is a human coming to terms with what it means to create AI. And I think it's just very important that, you know, never mind the fact that, 
Ford keeps aging and you know we we talked about that already but like never mind the logistics of hosts it's just from a storytelling perspective I just I feel like he definitely has to be human um and the other thing is you know a lot of people keep bringing up that scene when Teresa died that something was on the 3D printer in the uh, the diagnostic facility under Ford's cottage Lisa Joy has said in an interview that they just put that there for creepy ambiance nobody I've said that to believes me <laughs> or believes her like nobody believes her I believe her and I, re- I really do believe that that's not a kind like for all the threads they've left dangling I don't think that they would just leave that dangling over a two year you know we're not going to come back till 2018 and they're going to be like hey remember that 3D printer in episode 6 of season 1 well here's host version of blah um, I just I just don't think that's going to happen All right, you, and, you and I are in complete agreement here and I think yeah. uh, here's my encouragement to people listening to the show who really love Westworld and, and who consume TV and are very thoughtful about it and I, I, I phrase this as encouragement i you know, you've you've listened to this podcast, so it's abundantly clear by now that I don't know a lot of things uh, and can't predict things. And so, take this with a massive grain of rock salt. Uh, but my encouragement is when you come up, when you reach instinctively for a theory like Ford's not dead, or that was a host for it at the end. When you reach for that theory, think to yourself, how is this making the show better, or how is it making it more interesting? And in this case, or and by the way, I should also add, is there any evidence for this? You know, what is the textual evidence for this? And in this case, I think there is maybe a little textual evidence, uh, very debatable textual evidence, and it actively makes the the season worse. Uh, because if you think Ford is a host or Ford's not dead, what was that all for? Right? Maybe the show's trying to make a bigger point about nothing you see is true, like you can't trust your own eyes. But if so. It hasn't done a good job of making that point very well up until, until this point, in my opinion. Um, so th- that's the only thing. If you're reading, if you think your reading makes the show better, by all means, proceed. But I, th- I feel a lot of instinctive uh, theorizing, a lot of "Hey, uh, we've seen people be hosts before, so this must be true." Uh, and and I don't see a lot of thinking through the implications of how it impacts the themes of the show. Um, because no one uh, – you know, we've seen a lot of emails and I don't see a lot of people saying, hey, Ford is a host and therefore the whole meaning of season one is blank. I see them just saying Ford is a host because, whoa, mind-blowing. You know? Does that make sense? Am I being harsh? Oh, you're being a little harsh. But that's okay. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> no, no. That. No, it's okay. But um, I, I do think that people can theorize however they want. I guess what, um, what I, I don't like to see and, and I have seen – the beginning of with Westworld, and I've seen it much worse on other shows. Uh, is the angry theorizing? Yeah, <laughs> the, like, a lot of angry really, theorizing. You know, so like the the Logan is the man in black thing. I got a lot of like really very forceful, kind of angry and frustrated emails about that. I've yet to get a single follow up email that's like, "Hey, sorry, I was so you know very angry about that. I was wrong. You know, <laughs> I like, was so very <laughs> angry about that." <laughs> Like, um, but I just don't know why you would be angry. Like, why be angry about anything? I mean, this is a TV show, you know. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I got some angry uh, comments on my video essay about uh, evidence that Westworld is taking place in two different timelines. You know, some people very upset 
that I would even propose such a – here. Here's a quote. Here's a quote. I'm reading off the wall. This theory is complete and utter bullshit. Are you reading and a YouTube comment right now? I am now? reading a YouTube comment. Well. I, I feel bad about myself. <laughs> um, but anyway – but yeah, basically people people very taking it personally that people are proposing theories you can you can definitely theorize however you want but i I will agree with dave is that you know i read every single email i do but if you present a theory that like you know i I don't see the some of the things that dave's talking about where like this makes a show better or this fits into my understanding of how the show works um you know I'm, i'm less inclined to agree with it but that's okay we can disagree yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I'm sorry. I didn't mean to come off harsh. I, I would, and you're right, Joanna. People can theorize however they want. Certainly, we do that on this show. Right. You yeah. Know, we theorize in a way that other people might find disagreeable. So, apologies if I came off that way. I, I was just trying to say. I was just trying to share my own philosophy on um, theorizing, and I did not mean to be proscriptive, but rather encouraging, and in a way that is more of like a recommendation rather than. Um, you're doing it wrong. So. But I, d- I do think the season of Westworld has been very informative about fan theorizing in terms of, you know, um, there are ways to think about it in terms of trying to – I think everyone listening live to this <laughs> probably watches a lot of television, maybe not as much as I do because it's my job. But, you know, if you watch a lot of stories, trying to think about a theory that, that fits into the story you're already seeing. Um I don't know. Maybe that all sounds kind of condescending, but like, you know, there were a lot of wild theories and then there was like this through theory that, you know, Reddit glommed onto and, and we talked about here that seemed to make sense with, from my point of view, with the story that we were singing. I was not, I was wrong about a lot of things, but anyway, I don't know. I'm kind of chasing my tail here. Everyone theorize however you want. Feel free to think whatever you want. Don't be angry about it. Yes. <laughs> Life's too yes. short. Yes. Uh, so back to the Ford Dolores storyline. Um, uh, one thing we haven't really discussed is, you know, that uh, a lot of the stuff that we talked about in previous weeks is is basically accurate in the sense that we were seeing Dolores in multiple storylines. Dolores and William was thirty years ago. Modern day Dolores is tracing her steps, and then I remember Johanna. It, it was just two to three weeks ago. We were we were but babes at the time. Uh, when you were saying, I think, quote, I know you don't want me to tell you about my Dolores' Wyatt theory, <laughs> which at the time seemed like such a, a mind-blowing twist that the show could not possibly dare to even throw that in there. But it ended up being true, right? Pretty much. Uh, and it's revealed that Ford, or I should say Arnold, melded the Wyatt story like Wyatt was going to be a legitimate separate storyline right. right. he melded it with Dolores's so that Dolores would convince Teddy to kill all these people then Dolores would kill Arnold and, and then uh, Dolores would kill herself and that this would be like the way of uh, freaking everyone out so that they don't open the park but it seems Ford knew that this is what was happening and opened the park anyway curious why they still kept Dolores around you know uh, that was another hand wavy thing I thought was glossed over. Uh, I would feel like you would want to de- decommission that one. Uh, it's kind of malfunctioning a little bit, but what? Well, what, no, what? I mean not. I mean that's actually the only thing that that's one of the things that does make sense if we believe that Ford sort of changed his mind right after Arnold died. Um, oh, it, I guess I, I thought it was more of a process, but yeah. 
I, I think he said it was like pretty close to after Arnold died that he changed his mind. But like if Arnold viewed Dolores as like a kid, his, uh, you know, a second child, I could see why Ford would sentimentally hold on to her. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, so, yeah. And we should say that scene was actually very moving, I thought, when Arnold uh, has Dolores execute him. He plays the music that his son used to love. Very beautiful. I should say Ramin Javadi's work this season has been stellar. Uh, the soundtrack was just released, and I can't wait to listen to it a hundred times. I just thought the music was so creepy and had a good mix of old and new, and oh, it was so good. So, so this um, music is Reverie by Debussy, right? Yeah, um, and but I'm, I'm saying just like the music in general, the orchestra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, orchestration, the cover, everything, the original score, the covers, the music supervision. It was all great. It was all great. Um, uh, and it, I believe that he activated her with the phrase, these violent delights of violent ends. Am I remembering that correctly? I think, it, yeah. Manchurian candidate style, right? I think it's a combination of the music um, and the activation code. Or it might just be the code. But when he says it, Evan Rachel Wood does like a very subtle like – uh, eyelid blinky thing that yeah. and and then and then her face gets hard that so. is the technical uh acting term eyelid blinky thing and thing? face yeah. get hard yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah uh so anyway wanted to just call out that scene so a few other things happen uh dolores has a vision in this episode and comes to realize that the person speaking to her in her mind is not arnold but herself by confronting her other half and accepting it, Dolores finds the center of the maze and achieves true consciousness. The bicameral mind is uh, recognizing that the commands coming at you are not from your programmer but from yourself, right? That's what that scene recommends uh, – represents, I should say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ford returns to the party and gives a speech to the gathered Dallas executives, including Charlotte. Ford opens the speech by criticizing Dallas for how they've exploited and mistreated the host for their own pleasure and begins to talk about how everybody will be players in his new narrative, which will be his last narrative. Um, we forgot to mention that Charlotte confronts Ford earlier in this episode and says, you must retire. Ford's like, okay, fine. Uh, and then <laughs> – Sure, I'll retire, Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, but so will you. <laughs> I will retire you. Get it? <laughs> Okay, I do get anyway. it. Okay. I got it. Good. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> at that moment – and this is a, it's, it's an awesome scene when uh, Dolores is walking up behind him in a really super creepy fashion. Yes. And then uh, shoots and him it's, in the head. And it's Marsden's job to stand there – Teddy's job to stand there and be like, <laughs> what? And look concerned. Uh? Right. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And then she just starts opening fire on the people uh, – Teddy and Bernard are present and watching horror. And then uh, the man in black is having a, a drink in a nearby field. And then he sees uh, all these people coming at him. One of the uh, Clementine fires a shot and grazes his arm. And uh, basically, the man in black looks alive and excited for the first time because his dream is coming true. He has wanted the park to have real stakes, uh, and he's wanted the host to be able to fight back. Uh, he has been on Arnold, and now we know Ford's side. Uh, and now he's finally getting his wish. And that smile on Ed Harris's face is pretty magnificent. So, yeah, it's good. It's good. Great moment. One of the one of the great moments of this episode. Uh, also, another great moment that kind of came earlier that we we glossed over when Dolores is dying on the beach, and then it's revealed that everyone's watching that scene. Just technically, I just really liked how that was executed. I don't know how much sense it made in terms of the plot. Again, you'd have to buy that. Ford can predict all the stuff that Man in Black is doing, all that stuff. But, but just the way the reveal happens, it is a great pull the rug from under you moment. 
So uh, really like that as well. Uh, so any thoughts on the closing scene? Any else? Any we miss probably a few things. Anything else we missed that you want to mention, Joanna? Um, I guess I, I want to talk about um, the way Ed Harris looked in his tux. <laughs> not just <laughs> not just that he looked very handsome, which he did, but it just it 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 felt like. I guess I really object to these actors being kept in the dark all season about what they were doing. And I feel like in the finale, Ed Harris really finally knew what he was doing. And so, like, he drops the man in black thing as if it's a character, which, as well, he should. Because that's who he plays in the park versus the, you know, philanthropist he is on the board. And so just seeing him, he just looked so different to me um, physically in that scene. Um, And... I thought that was a great touch. And, you know, and like, and, and Ford too, in this episode, like he stops short of confirming that he's the one, he's the Arnold tinkering with all the programming. He stops you know, well short of that, but um, he still gets to be clearer than he's been allowed to be all season. And, um, and then the last thing I'll say on that subject is um significantly if if Arnold used the phrase these violent delights of violence ends as a trigger for Dolores way back in the day, uh Ford didn't. He gave her the choice. Right? He he didn't activate her. Right. He's like, here's the gun. I think you should kill me, but it's really your choice. Yeah. And and the way I interpret the Maeve thing is that what Arnold wanted her what Ford wanted her to do was that mainland infiltration thing. Yep. And she chose to do something else. And so you see one host choosing to comply with what Ford wants and one host not. But like the point, the driving point being um, it's their choice now. Yeah, agreed completely. And uh, when Maeve is making the decision, you know, there's a voiceover with Ford saying they now have the choice. And she's supposed to infiltrate mainland, but she chooses not to. She chooses to go back for the kid. And that is the important key, the important decision there. Uh, we should also point out that there is a nice parallelism between Ford's death and Arnold's death, uh, that they both die in exactly the same spot, in exactly the same manner, getting shot by the same person, presumably with the same gun. Uh, that was pretty... Definitely the same gun. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. That's... And now we know that like Ford had Bernard bury that gun... For Dolores, which is weird because, like, if he was just going to bring her the gun in the end anyway, I don't know. Like, why did it need to – I don't know. I don't know. Ford uh, Ford is just, yeah, playing wizard chess. HD moves ahead. For some reason, that gun needed to be there. I'm unclear why, but maybe mine, mine is not to reason why. Mine is about to do or die. Um, yeah, that, that, that was a nice little bit of symmetry to have them die. Was it the exact same place? In Okay. That's yeah, because cool. it was in front of that – Saloon or whatever, right? Yeah, I yeah. I guess it was just like a sort of his, his homage. Date. Yeah, his homage yeah. to the thing. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, you, you know, again, not to name drop again, not really a name drop, but my friend Stephen Tobolowsky, who's, who's an actor, uh, he has talked about this concept called the moment before zero. And let's say you're in a scene where uh, you're acting and someone punches you in the face. Right, And let's say you need to do 30 takes of that scene. On take 25, it's going to be a lot harder for you to reset and, and get to the point where you're not anticipating someone punching you in the face. Right, uh, And 
So, Joanna, I'm referring to your point about Ed Harris and how these people, these actors should have known what they were doing. And I can see the argument both ways because on the one hand, I agree with you. They should understand the fullness of their characters. But on the other hand, it makes it really difficult to get pat, to get back to the moment before zero in the sense that if Bernard knew that he was – if Jeffrey Wright knew that he was a host from episode one, would he have played that part differently? You know, And would that have tipped us off? And might that have not been what the creators intended? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So I think it definitely it's a it's a blade that cuts both ways, and I see it your way, and I also could understand why they chose to keep people in the dark as well. So, um, Joey Key, uh, yeah, Key in the chat room asks, why exactly does the photograph activate Abernathy sentience, and how did it get to the ranch? Because uh, that photograph, which fun fact is actually a Getty Images stock photo that someone found. Uh, so that girl in t- – it's like girl in Times Square stock photo, um, which makes me think that when they used it in episode one, they didn't know what they were going to do with it later on. But anyway, um, it, <laughs> it falls out of William's saddlebag in the town with the white church. So did it blow like a tumbleweed across Westworld to bury itself at the Abernathy Ranch? And then, yeah, what what does that have to do with – Abernathy glitching out like that's a that's another vestigial pilot thing that I think is left over from a different plan that they had yeah because I I understand how the these violent delights have violence ends like activation code word spread from him to Dolores to Maeve but the photo being the inciting incident when we didn't see that happen for anyone else uh still makes no sense to me so. Yeah, uh, I, I think like in a big picture perspective, just seeing something he wasn't meant to see from the modern world, right? That's that's what that represented. I, I don't know that it was anything specific about that photo. Also, well, well, I get that, but like you know, we see Hector later, um, you know, like deal with his anachronisms. Like no one else, like if anyone else had bugged out over an anachronism. Then I would understand. I was like, okay, this is a thing that happened, but that doesn't happen to anyone else. Yeah. And so it doesn't make sense to me as the first domino of this right, whole right. thing, you know? Well, well, there's also a bunch of other unanswered questions that we haven't talked about, right? Uh, okay. So, first, like, it does beggar belief that we are seeing a 30 year old photo in episode one, right? I think that's the implication, right? Yeah. That has somehow made its way across, I'm going to just say 100 miles, right? <laughs> At right. least of space. To get there? Okay, so that doesn't make any sense. Other, other questions that result. What does Jeffrey Wright whisper to Abernathy at the end of episode one? Yeah. Is that significant at all? Beats me. Um, what is the board's broader purpose with so, Westworld? Well, I mean, I think that's a question they didn't want us to have the answer sure, to. Sure, sure. And maybe we'll find that out in episode two. Mm-hmm. But Ford, you know, some, I don't think we mentioned this on the podcast, but Ford in episode, I want to say eight, the episode where Teresa's killed, says – Hey, um, you were the ones that wanted to play God with your little undertaking. So he seems to be implying there's a broader purpose that's very godlike um, with what the uh, what Delos is doing there. Um, right. Any other big unanswered questions? That... Um, I mean, I, I you know you and I agree, but but like let's make sure that you know we agree you know in public which is just that <laughs> that i think some people are still questioning who programmed mave who introduced the reveries blah, blah blah because they think it was 
someone acting as Arnold or whatever. I really feel like it was Ford. I feel like this episode makes that pretty clear, but um and he and he, he was uh, making it seem like it was Arnold as an homage to Arnold, right? An acknowledgement of Arnold? Maybe or just using Arnold's access codes or whatever. Maybe maybe it would it would be easier to hide from Delos or QA or or, or whatever, but um the you know, Bernard's like you didn't do this. Arnold did it. Arnold's still fighting you. And Ford's like, no, Arnold couldn't get you guys to consciousness. I got you there. Um, I'm here to help you, buddy. Uh, so, yeah, I feel it's like it's pretty clear that Ford is, is the one pulling the strings. I'm unclear who broke whom out of cold storage. Did Ford do that? Very possible. Or did May, uh, yeah, did Maeve do that as part of her rebellion? Also, I think possible. The other thing we should talk about, right, is that Ford is dead now. We all agree, right, class? Um, <laughs> Who is left to program the hosts? Uh, or are they perfected as they are? Right. Uh, I mean, I guess Bernard's still around, right? Right. But he can't. But can he generate new ideas? I guess that's a question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are kind of the questions you're left with. Uh, I am very curious. Season two feels like it's going to be a lot different than season one. Right. right? Uh, and in the post-show analysis, Jonathan Nolan was saying how season one was about order or attempted order, and season two will be more about chaos. And so, yeah, I'm very curious what directions they're going to go in. It's, it seems like it's going to be crazy. Uh, I will say there there were some really profound moments in this episode. Um, firstly, I've seen a gift being passed around. That there's this very profound handshake that Ford and uh, and Bernard share, right? And people are saying, oh, well, in episode one, they said that the handshake would give people away as hosts. And in this episode, you see Ford and Bernard shake hands. So Ford – and they, like there's a close-up on that handshake. So maybe Ford's a host. Have you seen this theory floating around? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we've, we've already covered that. But uh-huh. I, did, <laughs> I, I did really like that scene though because it's yeah. kind of – Ford saying goodbye to his creation, saying hey, preparing Jeffrey Wright, his character uh, Bernard, for the pain that's to come when the rebellion is attempted to be put down. He's saying, you know, difficult times are ahead. I've tried my best to set you up for success, and and so on. Um, and the idea that suffering and misery are not only inherent but necessary for you know humanity is a really profound and depressing idea. And yeah. it is one of the show's kind of uh, uh, theses, one of the statements the show is trying to make about the nature of AI. And, and it has never made it so definitively as in this episode, in my opinion. Uh, and it, it, I don't know that that's true, but it's, a, it's an interesting thought. And I thought that was uh, done pretty well in this episode. So, uh, yeah. So those are a few of my other random assorted thoughts. Great. Here's my question. Yep. Nope. I can't think of a way to say it that doesn't make me sound snotty. All right. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Can we all agree by 2018 to learn that the name is spelled (laughs) D-O-L-O-R-E-S? Dolores. D-O-L-O-R-E-S. Okay. what, What are you railing against, Joanna? Uh, it's uh, like I would say more often than not I see it spelled D E L, like O R I S O R E S. Like it's not D E L, it's D O L, 
Um, I like how this is going to be one of the closing thoughts of the podcast. Is, is, this, is this thing that this amazing work of art that literally a thousand people have worked, spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of man hours on, person hours on, and uh, people are spelling Dolores wrong. Anyway. It's bothering me. Okay. Um, At the end of this season. Closing thoughts. Okay. Closing thoughts on the season and uh, overall, you know, do we think this is worth the journey? There were so many good, amazing moments that I got. So many moments of wonder and awe that I got from this uh, season that it was well worth the journey for me. And I'm really, really grateful for all of our listeners for going on the journey with me. I, I will say one other thing that I wish had been done a little bit better. I wish the Ford... Maeve connection had been a little bit more explicit. We see Ford interact with Maeve a few times, but the idea that Ford is pulling all the Maeve strings, uh, I just wish we'd seen a little bit more of that. We see Ford, you know, interact with Dolores and and do stuff with her a bunch, and I wish we'd seen something similar with him and Maeve because it would have been great to see more of them together, and it would have drawn a clear connection between Dolores and Maeve in this episode. So that's something I wish had had happened. But uh, minor nit overall, exhilarating. Uh, fascinating, bold, ambitious, <laughs> not always successful. And in fact, in this finale, I thought frequently unsuccessful. But overall, a great journey that I'm just grateful for having gone on. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I you know, I come out of this season more optimistic about uh, season two than I usually am uh, after like a much hyped first season of a show like Mr. Robot or um, – uh, there are other ones where I was just like, oh, True Detective, I was like, no way is season two going to be good. And I don't feel that way. And partial, partially it's because they're taking so long with it. So I feel I have a lot of confidence in that. And just well, – I, they, I just, they, they probably learned their lesson from True Detective, I believe. That's, that's <laughs> what it feels like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, one, one quick, tiny, stupid observation is that you know uh, Ford says, you know, I took great pains to keep you apart talking about Dolores and Bernard. Um, so that explains why we see Stubbs, I guess, giving her analysis in episode one. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense why Stubbs is doing that. That's not usually his mode. Uh, you know, so, right. so she only, she only talks to Stubbs and to Ford and she never mm. talks to yeah. Bernard, which is kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> And I guess, like, who do I want to see next season? I really want, you know, I'd love to have Ed Harris back. He seems, he says he's confirmed. Evan Rachel Wood, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Tandy Newton, um, and Armistice, my MVP. I want Armistice back and I want them to use her. So, and Tessa Thompson, though we did not see her shot in this episode, I'd be okay if she doesn't return. The end. Uh, I was reading Alan Seppenwall's recap of this episode, and he was saying how he feels like the the actors who played Teresa and Elsie and Stubbs were pretty much wasted this season. Uh, and I am mostly inclined to agree. I mean, I thought the Teresa plotline, she just was felt so underutilized. And Elsie well, met like this ignominious end that we don't even know if it was an end. And well, that's exactly what I was – yeah. That's exactly what I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast. I feel like they are victims of the showrunners deciding to change their focus a little bit. Yeah. And like they, they're wasted because they just kind of dissolve halfway through because the showrunners no longer want to use them the way that they originally intended to. Um, I, I completely agree that it felt wasted. I feel also that like, uh, this is a wild guess. So please don't like, 
you know, hold me to this, but like it feels to me like they thought the Teresa character wasn't working, so they got rid of her and brought in Charlotte. And I feel like the complete opposite is true. Yeah. That Teresa was Teresa working was awesome. so yeah. much better than Charlotte ended up working. But it really feels like they were like, let's get rid of her and bring in another like female antagonist to deal with this. And I don't know what they weren't seeing in Teresa that you and I saw, but um I, I think that was the wrong decision, if that was indeed how the decision went down. But it seems, you know, Teresa dies right around when they did the long pause um, and, you know, went on hiatus. So it seems like that's when a lot of the narratives sort of took some twists and turns. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it. Then. Uh, I mean, <laughs> okay. here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We probably missed a few things and there's probably things we want to follow up on. Uh, but we hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Uh, If you've listened this far, you probably get some amount of enjoyment out of it, right? And this feeling you have right now of enjoying hearing (laughs) us talk, hearing us discuss these things. Hearing us lecture you on how to spell character names and how to theorize appropriately. Wouldn't you like that feeling to continue? Year round. (laughs) Year round. And if the answer – well, you're really making a good argument here, Jonah. If the Uh, answer is yes, if the answer is yes. Uh, then please go to genpopshow.com, subscribe to our new podcast, or patreon.com slash genpopshow, uh, which is our uh, Patreon page for the new podcast we're launching. And uh, we hope to have you join us and support us and to be able to talk about stuff like this all year round. Uh, and yeah, we'd be grateful for uh, your help with that. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, we hope that you'll consider going to patreon.com slash genpopshow and uh, you know, throwing a, a couple bucks our way per month. Like literally less than the price of a coffee per month would be – if, if – uh, I did some math on this, Joanna, and I think uh. if uh, 5% of the people who listen to this show gave $1 a month, we'd have no problem getting to our goal. Uh, and so all we're asking is for – and $1 a month is like you spend that much – you know. Before you get to work, probably, uh, just like buying a coffee or getting breakfast or whatever. So we hope you'll go to patreon.com slash genpopshow and support the podcast and uh, go to genpopshow.com and subscribe to the podcast uh, because we'd love to have this dialogue with you all year round. So thanks for listening. Uh, one other thing, we have a, a, a teaser from the first episode of Gen Pop, which uh, we will append to the end of this episode. Uh, it's our interview with James Poniewozik from the New York Times talking about fan theorizing. Note, we did record that uh, episode before we actually saw the finale, but uh, we talk more generally about what shows work, what shows don't work uh, when it comes to theorizing. And so hope you will check that out. That's going to come up in a few seconds. In the meantime, Jonah Robinson, where can people find more of your work until the next episode of Westworld? Um. Oh, until 2018. Um, you can maybe until then find me on VanityFair.com, and you can definitely find me on Twitter at Jarothis. Uh, you can listen to me over on Storm of Spoilers, Little Goldman, and of course Gen Pop. And you can find me at DaveChen.me on Twitter at DaveChensky. That's DaveChensky. Uh, and. Also, yeah, check out the Gen Pop podcast at genpopshow.com. Stay tuned uh, for a bonus segment with uh, James Poniewozik. Thanks for listening to Decoding Westworld. Uh, email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Find more episodes at decodingwestworld.com. We'll see you guys hopefully in 2018.
Joining us right now is the chief television critic for the New York Times, James Poniewozik. James, welcome to the show. How are you today, sir? Oh, great. How are you? Really good. Uh, really great to have you on. You wrote this article uh, about Westworld called Westworld Reveals a Big Twist but Little Heart. I guess before we dive into the sort of general idea of online fan theorizing and whether it's impacting television, uh, uh, if you could talk a little bit about your enjoyment of Westworld, because you, you make a lot of points in this article about how you're worried that there's nothing more there beyond the twists, right? Yeah, see, here's the thing. I, I should probably clarify before I get into my criticisms of the show, which, you know, I, I have a number, that I do – I watch it every week and I get a kick out of it. You know, actually, I, I watch this – is, this is the first time I've really watched a, a serial drama uh, like this in real time uh, with, my, with my son, my oldest son, who's, who's oh. 15. Um, and we, um, we, we binge-watched uh, Lost together uh, as a family. Uh, so this is sort of, you know, uh, stepped into the role, uh, of that. And, you know, I, I, there are a lot of elements of the show that, you know, I admire incredibly. And I mean, we have, we, we, we actually have enjoyed the hell out of, you know, many of these theorizing aspects, uh, uh, in themselves. You know, we, we, we spend a lot of time sort of breaking down the episodes after we've watched them, uh, together. So, so this is all to say that, I am not – not only am I not anti-theorizing, I would be a hypocrite to, to, to say so because, you know, I've watched so many TV shows that, you know, a big part of the enjoyment of which is, is mystery and the idea that you're trying to figure something out and that they're, you know, uh, you know lost I think is you know, obviously tremendously influential uh, in, in this case. And, and while I don't know if I would say that Lost is the greatest television show of all time. It may be the TV show that has given me the most pleasure mm. uh, yeah. of any of all time. But, you know, uh, Battlestar Galactica, Twin Peaks, you know, on and on and on. My issue with Westworld, and we can get into this more, is that it seems like to me, this is, you know, obviously, uh, you, your, your, uh, you know, the, the, there's a subjective element to this, that it seems to be a, a, an extension of that approach. Uh, to the extent where it feels like the theorizing, the puzzles, the mystery are the the, the main reason to watch. That, that they have supplanted many of the things that that uh, engaged me in other shows like this, uh, you know, uh, uh, such as per- uh, particularly character. Um, and and so, you know, I've seen a number of takes on Westworld that sort of say, you know theorizing is ruining this show um and i i certainly would not agree with that uh but i think it is an example of a show and i think there there have been others to some extent that that um my my issue with it is that beyond the theorizing i'm not sure that i have much reason to uh to appreciate it Hmm, interesting yeah in this article you write uh, if you and the internet hive mind crack a certain upcoming twist, there's little reason to invest in the story other than to see if you were right. Uh, and I guess you, you're a very well-read person, James. So I assume you've read about like some of the other deeper thematic 
elements that Westworld's trying to bring to light, do you just find those unconvincing or poor, like do you find the the broader themes of like AI uh, and what it means to be human? Like do you just find that stuff to be poorly executed? Do you think there's just not enough there there? What what are your thoughts on no, the other No, I think you know you know what I agree and and I think this is where I would probably distinguish between themes and character. I think the themes are mm-hmm. are generally there. As as I go into in more length than that article, um you know, I think that there is a lot of fodder to think about. It's not intel- an intellectually empty show. It's very cerebral. And there is a lot about, you know, the nature of, you know, the, the idea of what is consciousness and what does it mean to, you know, to be human and to, to have, you know, um, a, a personality and so on. Um, but I feel that the way that the show is, is structured and, and, and made and written, um, they're often sort of intellectually interesting, but very, um, very, very, very cold questions. Uh, and, and I, I really, to me, I think that, that, you know, a big reason that the show leaves me cold in that way is that, um, uh, a way I put it when I was writing about it is that again, if we, if we take, I know there's a certain unfairness in, in comparing shows to, you know, uh, something like lost, which was excellent on a lot of levels. But okay. if you take, if you take lost as an example, um, uh, one thing that I think it did, you know, wonderfully was even as it was introducing mystery and before it deepened and complicated a lot of mysteries, one thing it did right off the bat was to introduce a broad range of well-developed characters who felt like from life and distinctive and had their own voices. You know, John Locke, you felt like you knew this guy. You know, you felt, you know, uh, when, when, when you watched, you know, the, the, was it the fourth episode walkabout. Um, you know, in which, uh, you, you learned that he, he had been paralyzed and got up and walked when he hit the island. The only re- the only reason to appreciate that episode is not, oh, holy crap, he got up and walked. It's that you, you met this, this guy as a person and you knew who he was like and you felt his heartbreak. And Westworld, I feel, Sometimes by design, maybe and sometimes in ways that you can't necessarily blame it for because a lot of its most fascinating quote-unquote characters are robots. It presents characters who are interesting to the extent that you don't know them. Uh, the, the, the interest is, oh, do I know about, you know, do, do I, is the man in black what he seems or does he have some origin story that's going to explain him further? This idea of having characters who by and large are puzzles that you need to solve – um, to me, and you know, this, this is subjective in a sense, but it's, uh, I, I can't connect with that emotionally. And I think that, that a show like that is going to be, uh, going to be flawed for that. And I think we, we could discuss this some if you want, you know, one thing that struck me about this, you may have talked about this on the podcast is that, you know, obviously the show comes in part, uh, from Christopher Nolan, uh, you know the writer who was behind Memento, jo- uh, Jonathan Nolan. I think you mean right. I'm sorry, Jonathan Nolan. That's yeah. it's, it, and then you get into the whole like you know Jonathan Christopher Nolan sort of aesthetic of of like you know the 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 the, the puzzle story, the twist based movie. Um, that is something that I think may work better in a two hour movie yeah, that you're I watching agree. the darkness of a theater. When you're not, you know, tweeting or engaging in fan boards, you know, uh, 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 and you're just letting it wash over you. If, you, if you guess the twist, you'll you'll know that in two hours, you know, or not. Uh, uh, but you're not you're not sitting with it for for week after week after week. And I think that there is something to how that kind of story, particularly again, particularly 
if if the twist is your you know the your the, the the twists or the mysteries are your main motivating reason for watching um that that just doesn't play the same in weekly serial television as it does in a film right i i completely agree and i like i wanted to respond to a couple things the first is that i was actually having a conversation about Comparing Lost and Westworld, I think it's completely fair to compare the two. And um, having this conversation with my editor, Katie Rich, Vanity Fair, who is a huge Lost fan. Um, and, you know, we were discussing what about season you – know, she likes season one, but she there's room for her to like it more. And we were discussing what they could have done differently to make her like it more. And we kind of agreed that maybe the first season should have just been in the park – Getting to know a few characters, maybe getting, you know, even Android backstories, even even though those backstories are wiped, as you mentioned, the first season of Lost, before you learn more about the Dharma Initiative or the Tailies or the others, you get to know your core crew of of plane wreck survivors and um essentially, you know, what we what we all kind of assume we're going to see. In the finale this Sunday is a revelation that we have been watching the backstory of one character this entire time. So essentially, we're watching 10 hours of walkabout. Um, we're going to see the heartbreak that leads to um, the formation of this character. We're just spending 10 hours doing it versus one hour doing it and whether or not that's effective, you know, and whether or not it's effective for that to be quote unquote a huge surprise twist oh my god moment um we'll have to see how they pull it off in the finale but you know they're giving us that lost thing only focused on one character only stretched over 10 hours and then the other thing i will say to your point about bringing up uh, jonathan nolan's previous works is i've been trying to figure out how it is we can sink into an android character whose entire personality and memory gets largely wiped you know, week after week. And, you know, I think I've been thinking a lot about Memento. You have a character whose memory gets wiped every few minutes as he goes through the film. And you're still, you know, he is a human character. He does have some emotion, his cornerstone memories or whatever that he holds onto that make him very palpably human. But, um, you know, I see this as Jonathan Nolan sort of trying to repeat that same trick of wiping someone's memory, but trying to explore what it is is at the core of them that that makes them who they are even if they forget what they just did yesterday so um effective or not um i think that's what he's trying to do right so and a complication there you know if you're watching memento i mean if you're dealing with a human character we we assume just because of our like you know common assumptions about human nature that yes if you if you have someone who has a condition in which they forget things every 24 hours or, or 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 whatever um you you assume that they still have a core self Right. right, that there, there, there's something beneath it. The, the memories are, you know, that's like a data file that's drawn on by the core self. Um, but, but, but that, you know, that that person's character personality continues. Uh, you know, there's sort of a question with, you know, a with with a host. Um, is that the case? And this is another, you know, sort of thematic question. Um, that again, I think is very interesting. You take somebody like Maeve, right, who we have learned um, was, a, a, you know, has has not just had memories wiped as 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 hosts always do um, over the course of their service, but had been an entirely different character as as some of these hosts do um, right. earlier in her existence. So, on the one hand, 
it's very interesting to see, you know, to see this, this notion um, of her, uh, you know, blackmailing the techs in the lab and, you know, literally sort of rewriting her personality, enhancing her characteristics and, you know, and, and, and so on. Um, and, and yet there's sort of an open question, like, is there some core self from which she's proceeding? Um, you, you know, or, or you know, because here you're dealing, it's funny, you're dealing with characters. I sort of want to say that hosts aren't characters in the traditional sense. But the thing is actually that the hosts are, they're actually literally characters, like in world. <laughs> right. right. They're written they're, by writers. Right. You, you actually, you know, you're seeing, quote unquote, Dolores, the a creation of, you know, Dr. Ford or, or, or Bernard Weber or whoever actually uh, created her, um, presumably acting on the, 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 the basis of programming. And, and that is, again, I think a question that's intellectually interesting, not yeah. necessarily involving, although, you know, I would say there, were, there have been times during the season when, despite that, I've been able to get emotionally engaged with the show. I mean, I think, you know, the, the Dolores arc, simply because Evan Rachel Wood's performance is, is so fantastic, has been involving maybe to me the most, one of the, one of the, one of the most memorable scenes or sequences was the, ep, uh, an episode, I forget what it was, six maybe, when, when, um, Maeve is taken back to the lab and first walked through and read, uh, and see, sees herself on the screen in a past quote unquote life sees, uh, you know, sees, sees other hosts, you know, naked, dead in labs being hosed down or whatever. And it's like, you're, you're seeing this being like walk through hell, right? Like you're seeing a creature, uh, suddenly just have, having their, their, you know, their world blown up. There was really something like kind of religious and amazing about that. Uh, I, I, to me, the, the, the season has only hit those notes, uh, occasionally. Oddly, it's hit it more often when dealing with hosts. I mean, I think one issue that, I, that I've had is, is that, um, I've found, you know, the, 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 the lab based, the, the park based human characters, uh, to be much more flat. Um, which, which is, uh, uh, you know, just an, another general issue that I've had. And potentially intentional. Like possibly intentional. Uh, that's that's true. It, I mean, that that could be the most charitable explanation for that. That they're yeah, trying the, to give intentional you intentional affectlessness is still affectlessness, and then you know what what is it that you latch onto there? You know, and if if what you're latching onto then is just you know the mystery and the you know the coolness and the intellectual neatness of the construction of the story, then do you have something left if you feel that you know you've figured it out? <laughs> Uh, you know, a, a weeks in advance or whatever. Yeah, in, in your article, you write, uh, quote, twist narratives work differently in serious television. You see uh, a movie in a dark room unconnected to the outside world. The story unfolds all at once. If you guess the solution early, you have a short time to wait to be satisfied or disappointed. In weekly serial TV, on the other hand, you have to sit with it for weeks. And while you wait, it raises the question, what else am I here for? What else do I care about? End quote. And I think what you're saying, right, is that because of how uh, TV is different from the movie as a form, that the result of theorizing, the result of twists means that you end up scrutinizing television a lot more for some of the weaker elements, right? Or, or some things that you, you might scrutinize it and ask, like, what are you here for? And realize that there's not much, whereas you might not ask that question in a movie. Is that right? Yeah, sort of. I, and, and also... 
it, you know, I, I think that it then reveals uh, weaknesses in a television series if that television series has not executed on the level of emotion and character that I'm talking about. The, you know, the funny thing is, you know, I, I am focusing there on uh, sort of uh, theories and twists because Westworld is, is so dependent on those or so encouraging of those. Um, however, I, I'm not like one of those people who feels that if you learn a twist, it ruins a story. I'm actually like entirely the opposite. I'm, I'm extremely spoiler agnostic. Yeah. Um, I, you know, because my belief is that, um, it, you know, this, this is personal, but that, that if a story is well told, if a story is worth anything, it's, it's just as good, even if it's spoiled and, you know, sort of as a professional hazard, as a critic, I've certainly, uh, seen and heard, you know, many stories that, that I, that I've had, uh, uh, you know, quote unquote spoiled for me, uh, uh in advance. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, a, 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 pl- a plot twist um, in a story that is a whole emotionally satisfying story uh, to me sh- should not be sh- you know should not be fatal it should not be fatal having that revealed to you. Um, the the problem is you know again when the twists become the point uh, you know th- th- I guess that's what I'm saying about you know what what do you have left then. Yeah, right. and I think, you know, the, the finale, This you know, we, we're all recording this, I assume James hasn't seen, uh, having not seen the finale. That's no, I don't think Sunday. anybody has, yeah, right. outside of HBO and maybe a special few. Right, and, um, you know, so, so we'll see, it could still potentially in the 90-minute expanded finale all come together in a very emotionally satisfying way. I'm of the mind, you know, some of these questions that you talked about in terms of, really believably believably anchoring into the emotional journey of these hosts has been, Mm -hmm. I agree, mixed. I agree with you about the Maeve behind the scenes thing, but we talked on the podcast last week about how Bernard's whole journey about finding out that his memory of his son was not real or at least sort of a fabricated version of reality and having to power through that in order to figure out who he is, that did not emotionally land for me. But Mm -hmm. in terms of like delivering these big twists, you know, I would say that Arnold reveal I think was well done, if not emotionally dense. But I think the reveal of a few weeks ago that he is in fact a host, I thought that was remarkably well done. And I think it was exactly what you were talking about in terms of even for those of us who, and, and we are many, who like thought that Jeffrey Wright was probably playing an android, the revelation, like knowing that for me, I don't feel spoiled that scene in any way because it wasn't dependent on shock value. It was dependent on, you know, the characters in the scene and, and a lot of suspense and, and all these sort of things. So, you know, I, I think that if Westworld can survive its big finale reveal, knowing that a lot of people see it coming, then we have to give it marks for that, right? For doing exactly what you say. It's spoiler proof because it doesn't matter if you know, it matters how they reveal it. If you do something like that well, then yeah, it shouldn't matter that maybe you guessed or read that somebody else guessed that Bernard was a robot, you know, after one or two episodes, right? Because the, the effect should come from, wow, what an amazing and horrible and moving thing it is for a, a being, whether quote unquote natural or artificial to discover that their existence is a lie. You know, that's certainly something you can make a, you know, that, that you can make a compelling story out of. Um, and, and that, you know, I would hope that, you know, Westworld turns around and, and does, 
satisfyingly because I, I'd enjoy it that much more. You know, and right. again, I'm, I'm yeah. still watching every week. Right, like, right. You know, <laughs> so like I, I definitely like dig it, uh, you know, on that level. I, I just I do think it's handicapped itself in that sense um, by building its first season so much about uh, on deliberately withholding information about characters it has, um, that yeah. might cause you to, to invest in. Now, if you can, once we learn more about them, kind of re- retroactively become invested, if this is in a way, you know, kind of like, you know, like you said, you talked about it being like walkabout as a single episode. If, you, if, if it turns out that, oh, you know, this first 10 episode season was really, it was kind of like a pilot and now I get it and we can move forward from that, you know, that would be fantastic. And it's, you know, it's, it's entirely possible. Hey guys, Dave Chen here, just going to cut in here and say, if you want to listen to the rest of this interview with the great James Poniewozik, who I'm a huge fan of, go to genpopshow.com where you'll find the first episode of my new podcast with Joanna Robinson. And also go to patreon.com slash genpopshow to support what we're doing. Uh, thanks so much for listening to this season of Decoding Westworld. And we hope you had as much fun listening as we had recording the show. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.